season we made it we're doing great it's actually we're we're playing sick today we're fully admitted it's the jordan flu game but we're here to deliver for the folks at this halfway point we have lots of takes to get out how you doing doing well man doing well it's really surprising because we're at the uh we're at the halfway point right now and i think we know just as much as we did in this season started i don't know if we have any clue of what's going right going on right now but we'll get into it don't well, worry I, I think we might know less like at least we thought we knew more at the beginning of the season than we do now it's become a complete like we're just throwing stuff at the wall today but i agree like why don't we just jump into it our the first thing we learned is that we're super duper confused about who is and isn't any good in the nfl right now care to elaborate yeah i mean if you if you came out of week eight and you tried to put together some tier list There are about four different teams that you could have put in the conversation for current top five in the NFL, Uh, and they all lost this week. The Bills lost to the Jags in what? In what was that? (laughs) What was that? I couldn't tell you. I'll have a write-up for you on on Football Outsider sometime tomorrow, but I'm still trying to make sense of that game. The Pats and Jordan Love go down to the Kansas City Chiefs. Los Angeles Rams fall to the Titans on Sunday Night Football. The Cowboys at one point were down 30 nothing to the Denver Broncos. I mean, these are all teams that, you know, starting to come into this week, we're starting to try and put together a list of contenders, a list of teams that we're going to keep an eye on going forward, trying to, you know, figure out who's going to start to separate themselves from the pack in this NFL picture. It feels like we're right back down to square one at this point. Yeah, the pack all came back to itself. And, yeah, it was wild. Uh, Fun little stat for everyone out there. Yesterday, there were five teams that lost that came into the day with at least a share of first place in their divisions. So the Rams technically weren't in first place, but they were tied with records with Arizona. And then the Cowboys, Bills, Packers, and Raiders, who we'll get into later a bit as well, all lost. Uh, Terrible reap for the Raiders, but... Uh, yeah, I think uh, that kind of leads us into talking about the wide-open nature of one conference in particular, that being the AFC. I mean, we we were sort of banking on the Bills being the favorites in the AFC coming out of last week, and that Jacksonville game, I think, really opened our eyes to, I don't know, like, they've got serious issues. Their offensive line was Swiss cheese yesterday. Josh Allen actually looked uncomfortable against the Jags defense that I think we thought was atrocious coming into the week and honestly like I don't know if they're ever going to be able to run the ball so Bills like top to bottom I think there were some some concerns exposed that we were feeling pretty good about heading in yeah and listen let's not get too ahead of ourselves the Bills are without two of their top tackles also missing Dawson Knox but that being said I didn't realize just how important Dawson Knox was to this Bills team or how important those two tackles were to this Bills team Jaguars are able to consistently just rush four, drop back into a lot of Tampa two looks, a lot of, you know, two highs, uh, and just really hold the Bills' offense hostage at points, just really forcing Josh Allen to hold the ball, hold the ball, you know, make some hero plays. And these, you know, it's not quite, you know, how bad 2019 was with Josh Allen where he, 
he looked completely lost and he's just heaving the ball. It looks a little bit more decisive than that, but it's it's not you know leagues better at this point in the AFC. Uh, there are what eleven teams that are above five hundred at this point, and that still includes the Pittsburgh Steelers that have yet to play, and they're sitting at four and three right now. But the two teams that top the AFC, the Tennessee Titans and the Baltimore Ravens, both don't look like they have the ability to even sustain their current pace. Both of these teams, similarly, are dealing with a lot of inju- a lot of key injuries to their you know most important positions. Uh, the Ravens have been handed a pretty bad injury card early on. The Titans are now without Derrick Henry for what seems like the uh, the foreseeable future, and it hasn't seemed to affect them yet. The Tennessee defense especially have had three different, I think two of their defensive tackles now lead the league in pressures, which is not a statistic that you're supposed to generate with deep tackles. They've got a third defensive end, and none of these players are Bud Dupree, the guy they're paying $18 million. Uh, he really hasn't done much this year, but I, the Tennessee Titans are currently way overplaying where their defense probably should be. And their secondaries looked lights out at points last night in the first half of that Sunday night football game. Matt Stafford held the game longer than he has in any other half of football. Uh, this season, which should suggest to you that the secondary is doing something right for Tennessee, but just nothing really makes sense in the AFC. I don't know. What do you think, Jackson? Well, for the for the Titans, I think that would be um, we would class that as one of their more impressive wins, and we would say, you know, it proved to us that their defense has another gear to it. Uh, that we, you know, maybe we saw it a little bit against KC, but I mean, KC's offense looks all sorts of disjointed right now. So. Shutting down that Rams offense, holding them to nine points in the first 59 minutes is super-duper impressive, but at the same time, Titans only gained 195 yards last night. I don't think we can come out of that game saying the post-Derrick Henry Titans are definitely Super Bowl contenders. So like you said, that now leaves us with the Ravens and the AFC, who we haven't really seen play any division games except the one blowout they lost against Cincinnati. Leaves us with the Bills, who lost to Urban Meyer yesterday. It leaves us with nine teams, assuming the Steelers beat the Bears tonight, it leaves us with nine teams with five wins. Like, what do you do with that? Any of those nine teams could theoretically be good, or they could be terrible. I think the Bengals are bad. Like, I think the Broncos are bad. But there they are. You know, they're in playoff position, hypothetically, if they win next week. So it's just a total mess. And I want to say I love it, but I, I wish we had a little bit more, uh, we, we could make a little bit more of a determination this late point in the season. Yeah, I mean, it's you start to try and put together a strength of schedule and trying to, you know, college footballify this a little bit. And the Titans do have, you know, a genuinely impressive string of wins. Uh, you know, uh, say what you want about Josh Allen slipping on that QB sneak, but, you know, a win's a win over the Bills, and that means they've beaten in a row. Now the Bills, Chiefs, uh, Rams, and Colts, and they also have a win against Russell Wilson at Seattle this year. And, you know, it's, this is about as, you know, it's it's currently, this is the first time I think we've seen, you know, a true post-Brady and Manning AFC where it's not just, you know, Mahomes doesn't have the ability to fully take over and it's taken a bad Mahomes season to realize that, yeah, this is kind of, you know, a wide open any one sort of conference type position right now. There is not a single playoff position at the moment in the AFC. All seven are currently up for grabs, and I can't make any sense heads or tails 
up or down of what this is going to be toward the end of the season? I'm going to say six. I think the the Titans being three games up on the Colts with two wins over them puts Fair them enough. in a pretty safe position to win that division. But, again, but the Colts are still a good team. The Colts, they you know. They they they're they're fighting. It's it's a four and five that looks slightly. It's a slightly stronger four and five than I think people should be giving them credit for. Uh, yeah, I mean, you start to look at the quarterbacks in the AFC, and that's where it gets really tricky. Because you want, do you want Carson Wentz or Teddy Bridgewater like trying to trying to lead your playoff push? Like I'm I'm pretty concerned about that. But uh, it really is a complete crapshoot. I, I think, you know, the Titans being half a game clear of everyone at the top of the standings, like, if I were to ask you right now, can the Titans win the Super Bowl this year? Like, do you have an honest answer for that? Yeah, I'd say no. But Me neither. I don't think they can. Yeah, it's, I, I don't know how many, it, but the thing is, you know, they beat the Rams, like, decisively beat the Rams, and that's my issue. I can't really, I can't get that out of my head. I, I get this is, you know, an uncharacteristic game for Los Angeles, but at the same time, like, you can't discredit that. You can't discredit how decisively Tennessee was able to win over Los Angeles. Yeah, I mean, I'll only push back on that in a sense of, you know, it was decisive because they forced the first half turnovers and that completely changed the complexion of the game. Like, I think if the Rams could have blocked for Stafford one or two more times, you know, he takes four sacks and all of a sudden he's he's skitterish with the ball and, and chucks it up and leads to a red zone interception. Uh, and I think that the Rams were kind of on their way to coming back in that game as well. Uh, before Tyler Higby stepped out of bounds in the end zone. So. Listen, man, if ifs and buts were candies and nuts, I'd be the king of Denmark. That's a uh, <laughs> great to hear. Um, <laughs> Listen, that's, you can't. I, that's all I'm saying. You can't just every every little you know. A football is a collection. A football game is a collection of players, and you can't boil losses down to a handful of them. I'm just, just saying, I don't think it was like, oh my god, the Titans are clearly so much better than the Rams based off that game last night. Like decisive, sure, but not like. There were there were some semi fluky plays that went into it being so decisive. But you know they want a rock fight. They they just went out there and won a you know a hard fought game with a lot of swings. And if you know, it's one of those. It's a resume builder where if they can if they, it's good to know that they have that in their arsenal. Are they going to break it out every time? Is this going to be the new standard? I can't say that definitively without seeing it. You know. Multiple times, Tennessee's got a lot of difficult games coming up without Derrick Henry on the schedule, or like Derrick Henry on their roster. So we'll see going forward. But it's it's nice knowledge to know that they can beat one of the best teams in the NFL on the road in a really hard fought game where the offense can't really get it going. Yeah. Well. All that said, both of us don't think they can win the Super Bowl. So yeah. so that's where it leaves us in the AFC. And and with the AFC being so open, I mean, we'd be remiss if we didn't mention uh, the team that's on a three-game winning streak and has a plus 60-point differential and sort of went into Carolina yesterday and, and made it look like a home field advantage for them. Uh, Patriots are, are here. They're they're a factor. It's nice to see. Yeah, it's... Uh... Listen, I'm I'm still consistently just impressed with the way that New England's been able to string things together. This is now the the third week in a row where we've singled them out and we've kind of made declarative statements about where their season's headed. And those are, you know, wins against the Jets, Chargers, and Panthers. So, you know, a, an interesting cast of characters to kind of make sense of. But the offense has been clicking. The Ball's been moving down the field pretty consistently. 
Mac Jones is playing well. I you know I don't love the you know grab Ryan Burns by the angle, pull him out of the game. It's not a it's not the best look for Mac Jones, but the, he's just sticking up for his boy. You know, uh, Brian Burns just concussed Damian Harris. He was just getting back at him. Yeah, I don't know. It looks, no, I, I don't. Great. I don't love the. Uh, I don't love the revenge play. But what I will say is, you know, this is a team that's clicking on all cylinders, and they've really got a good runway of. You know, this is a Browns team. Browns coming off a very strong win, but they haven't looked as you know as strong as we'd like them to be coming out of you know really high expectations headed into this season. They haven't looked at that good at all. Outside of this game, they're coming off a good one though. But yeah. you know, but it's Cincinnati, the Bengals. The Bengals can't stop the run yeah, at all. Cincinnati is also sliding at the moment. It's just in pure freefall. But you know, they've got Atlanta coming up. They've got Tennessee. They've got Buffalo before their Week 14 bye week. Which again, I cannot stress enough how much I hate the fact that this team is a Week 14 bye. <laughs> but I think at this point, you know, it might serve them well. They've got if they can go. Uh, they can go three and one down the stretch. They, it's it's three legitimate opponents in Cleveland, Tennessee, and Buffalo. But if they can pick up two of those three big wins, I, I, I this is a really interesting picture. I can't imagine Buffalo uh, Buffalo fans being too happy about you know thinking it's their time. Buffalo all of a sudden going off the rails a little bit and McCorkle Jones oh. usurping. This Buffalo team, I yeah. can't imagine. Well, they've got a soft landing. I mean, granted, they've already lost to Miami, and we just saw Jacksonville beat the Bills yesterday. But that being said, they've got a quote-unquote soft landing with the Jags and Dolphins in the last two weeks of the year. So if they can just get to nine and six through those next, you know, go, go, what is it, four and two in their next six games, that leaves them in a really nice spot. That being said, the other thing I wanted to mention about the Pats is that. Both of our running backs got concussed yesterday, and that's probably not the greatest sign. Uh, they both looked really good. Ramondre Stevenson was a revelation yesterday, I would say, and then uh, Harris has just been quietly picking up steam throughout the past four or five weeks now, but I would like to not have both of them be in the blue tent at the end of next week. But that is the beauty of the Pats running back room. Like, if for every... With all the fumble issues that this team has had, they've now got a reliable guy in Brandon Bolden who's been there since 2012 and has now carved out you know, a legitimate role in this Patriots passing game and has carved out a significant portion of the uh, snap share of this Patriots offense. And J.J. Taylor even is a good supplemental back to all of this. So, you know, the Pats have legitimately four somewhat reliable and dependable running backs to lean on at this point. And... While I am concerned, it's 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 testament to the sheer level of depth that the Pats have been able to f- create over the last several years of the running back position where James White, Damian Harris, and Ramondre Stevenson can all go down and the Pats still have two l- reliable running backs to lean on. Yeah, and just, I mean, I know I already said last note on the Pats, but last, last note on the Pats, uh, what a draft class this is for them, huh? Like. I think it's about time we can we can lay the Bill Belichick can't draft anymore narrative to rest because not only did Stevenson look great yesterday, Barmore, unbelievable. Uche has been great all season. Like what else can we Christian say? Christian Barmore like, been on phenomenal, absolute tear. I mean, just a revelation for the New England Patriots to have in there. You know, a, a complete difference in what they were able to produce last year as a defense, especially in their front seven. A lot of their pressure did come from, you know, around the edge. They didn't have, you know, necessarily the, the personnel to, 
you know, create pressure in their front seven. A lot of it had to be schemed up at times. But, you know, just Christian Barmore is a threat, man. He is clogging up the middle, stopping runs. He's, you know, generating pressure from the middle, which, like we said about the Titans, that's usually not the place where you're generating pressure from. But he is, you know, it, it's it's really impressive that the Pats were basically le- able to get legitimately two first-round talents in the first two rounds of the draft. Barmore is a blessing for this Pats team at the moment. Yeah, and the mixture of all that youth with Jamie Collins making freakishly athletic plays like it's 2014 again, and Kyle Van Noy even out there like providing that veteran leadership batting balls yesterday. Like it's, it's becoming a pretty potent and scary New England defense, and I think that those teams that we mentioned ahead on their schedule should be a little bit concerned because if you're Cleveland, you're not going to be able to get Nick Chubb, you know, 145 yards on 20 carries like you did this week. You're going to have to ask Baker to actually throw the ball for once. And, you know, it's, it's Baker. You know, there's there's a lot of Baker truthers and a lot of Baker deniers out there, and I think we're going to find out a lot about him in the next couple weeks. Transitioning off the Pats, though, there are a lot of teams who at this halfway point of the season, and this is kind of our halfway episode where we're taking a pretty big-picture look there are a lot of teams that look awful that we had some expectations for. Maybe they started the season hot. Maybe they just came into the season with you know marquee names or uh, you know great young coaches, whatever it may have been. They look terrible. Kale, I want to just throw some teams at you and you tell me what's gone wrong and what, if anything, can be done to fix it. Starting with the Carolina Panthers, who were on the flip side of that awful Patriots game we talked about yesterday. I mean, this is just... Carolina came into the season, and they pushed, for some ungodly reason, decided to push all their chips right on Sam Darnold. And they spun the roulette, and they picked up his fifth-year option, and they really tried to just ensure that, you know, we can salvage this guy. It's it's like... Just find an, an insanely toxic girl with a just a track record of red flags and thinking I can fix her. It's it, and and you know the first couple weeks somewhat promising. Carolina gets off to a three and zero start, and now what? The, this team has now lost five straight games. Oh, sorry, sorry. They I I'll, I won't give them too much credit. They did win against Atlanta last week, so they've lost five of their last six. Uh, and that one win against Atlanta also came exclusively off field goals. <laughs> so, you know, that win is not in the hands of Sam Darnold at this point. Uh, but he's, it's, it's bad, man. It's, it's, he's, you know, after a very hot start, he's fallen back to similar Jets levels of performance. You saw Robbie Anderson uh, screaming at him to pick it up on the side of the field when, uh, just after another poor after performance. After his third interception of the game in his past 10 throws at that point. Yeah, Ben Baldwin currently has Sam Darnold, 30th of 33 qualifying quarterbacks on uh, the EPA plus CPOE composite scale, and the only three quarterbacks lower than him at the moment are all rookies. So, And, and actually, here's a fun one. Davis Mills is currently performing slightly better than Sam Darnold is, which is... 
Who would have thought? <laughs> and he's and he's out, so he's gonna stay better than than Sam Darnold. Uh, I would on I would go further. I would say of the thirty two guys that started NFL games, uh, well, I guess there were teams on buys, but let's say hypothetically all thirty two teams were to play a game for their season tomorrow, and there's the thirty two starters that they send out there. Would you take any? Would you take Sam Darnold ahead of any of them right now? Is this uh is this like I'm rebuilding a team or is this a one game? No, for city? one game is is can do you trust Sam Darnold to win you one game over any other quarterback in the league right now? God, that's tough. I maybe maybe over you know I think I'd take him over about half the rookies like like Trevor Trevor Lawrence Trevor Lawrence looked. Bad against Buffalo. Like, yeah, but he, he has nothing. He like, has if nothing. You put, if you put drunk. Trevor Lawrence on this Panthers team, I, I gotta think he'd do better than Darnold. But I would take I would take Darnold over Zach Wilson right now. I think I Zach like Mike White and uh, you know Josh Johnson are making this Jets offense look comp- competent when Zach Wilson couldn't. I think at that point, I think the Jets might actually rather have Sam Darnold than Zach Wilson at the moment. In the short term, if they're a, just trying to win games. What a twist of irony! There, everyone, everyone hates Sam Darnold. He's he's screwing everyone over this year. Oh yeah, this guy cannot find a winner here. Oh well, let's go back to my list of teams. Uh, how bad is it, and how can it be fixed? San Francisco 49ers. Uh, this is another quarterback-centric one where I just think the. The San, the San Francisco 49ers are just in this holding period at this point where no like no one's really playing for this year if that makes sense. Like Jimmy like even Jimmy Garoppolo's performance this year's playing for his contract. They're kind of waiting with Trey Lance in the wings because they're not sure whether he's good enough to play yet. They're not willing to come off of the, you know, exorbitant cap hit that Jimmy Garoppolo's giving them at the moment even though if they cut him they'll you know it's only what a two million dollar loss but they're not going to cut him at this point because they're week got week nine to the season and trey lance has thrown less than 100 balls since high school or something like that like it's he he, he it's trey lance is not ready to play but jimmy garoppolo is not ready to give up this job and he's basically the only performance he's doing right now is for his next contract so this team kind of feels like no man's land and also kyle shanahan is i don't fully understand what's going on with these weapons. They keep running these end-arounds of Brandon Ayuk. Oh, that, they love that the end-around of the jet sweep. That has Ayuk. to average a four-yard loss every time they do it at this point because it's just every team is sniffing it out. And there's no, I don't know, Kyle Shanahan's just supposed to be this offensive-minded guru. and 9-15 and 15 since the Super Bowl, by the way. Just thought I'd throw that out there. Yeah, the 49ers offense is currently 21st in success rate per Ben Baldwin. They're 15th in EPA per play, which, you know, considering this is a really dynamic offense, it's they're really right now just leaning on Debo Samuel, who I think leads the league among all pass catchers and target share. There was a point, I think, coming into this week where he was generating 37%, I believe, of San Francisco's targets. Like, it's a really, really one-dimensional offense at this point that hasn't gotten a lot together. And they come into a game against the Arizona Cardinals, a team sort of headed in opposite directions, where this Cardinals offense just has so much life in it. They're able to win a game decisively without Kyler Murray. That's how strong this team is. Cliff Kingsbury kind of, you know, putting it all out there, really getting a lot out of a team missing its top what three offensive players yeah 
I would say so. And just able to roll the 49ers, who only only put up 17 points against this Arizona team that was missing so many players. This is... It's, it's you know, I don't want to get too hyperbolic, but it's unacceptable for well, this 49ers. Well, the defense still came to play, though. I mean, we've been singing the Cardinals' defense praise all season. I don't want to go too deep into my Kyle Shanahan bag right now because I've got some special stuff saved up for him later in the program. Uh, that's that's a spoiler alert if I've ever seen one, but uh, it's it's not good, and I'm, I'm from that part of the country, and... Not that I have tons of Niners fans kicking down my door, uh, hitting the panic button, but they are they are headed in a very bad direction. And they were five and a half point favorites in that game once the news broke that Kyler was definitely out. I think you should have jumped all over that Cardinals plus five and a half because despite the fact that we love Kyler, this Niners team hasn't proven us they can do anything. Like they barely beat the Bears last week, and other than that, they've just been losing and doing it in a progressively more lifeless, limp way for the past month and a half. So I, I, I'd i be really concerned if I were a Niners fan. And I don't know if Shanahan's keeping his job beyond this season, but that's a topic for later in the show as well. What about the Vikings? That's a game they absolutely needed to win yesterday. Uh, just gifted an advantage right from the start. Take a two-possession lead in the first half. Should have been a three-possession lead, but they settled for a field goal. They return the second half kick for a touchdown, so they're right back up by 14. But as is often the case with the Vikings, the defense just caves in and they lose another winnable game. Just a just a comedy of errors from this Minnesota Vikings team. This is an absolutely winnable game for this team that, you know, really seems to need wins. This is, and, you know, we talked a lot about the AFC. They're really, like, the, the last two to three slots in the NFC playoff picture are completely wide open. There, There is a true drop between the Packers, Rams, Buccaneers, Cardinals, and Cowboys uh, and the rest of this NFC. Uh, the Vikings are in every position, you, you know, they are, they are right in the thick of this in terms of being in a position to win this, and they just cannot put together wins that will get like i said jackson jackson stepped on his head scratcher i'll step <laughs> on my head scratcher we'll get into the overtime decision making by the minnesota vikings but this is a you know this is a game where the minnesota vikings had two big plays that they broke off uh massive massive gains uh generating interception in overtime kept uh, Lamar Jackson to some relatively shaky play uh it wasn't lamar's best game by any means uh you know Three touchdowns, two interceptions, three sacks, a QBR of forty-eight point five. This is a, this is a game where a guy that you know always seems to flirt with MVP. Uh, you were able to keep him relatively contained for the most part, uh, but it, you, you you keep finding ways to screw it up. You keep finding ways to you know just throw this game away, especially late. You know you let you let Baltimore march down, score two touchdowns in the fourth quarter. You have them on the ropes in overtime. You can't put anything together, and you go three and out. You're rushing on second and nine. Uh, it's, 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 I don't know, Mike, Mike Zimmer's. The Vikings just have to go in a better direction at this point. You have Kirk Cousins has performed not, not you know, exceptionally, but, you know, well. He's performed very well. It seems like he's always kind of slightly improving on uh, – on where he's at, and you know, people discredit Kirk. I someone on Twitter is now 
come up with uh, a stat for mediocre quarterbacks or a ranking system for mediocre quarterbacks and dubbed it the Kirks as the measurement scale. Yeah, uh, how many Kirks are you? Kale, how many Kirks are you worth? I'm like I'm like point eight Kirks. <laughs> I'm just below. I feel like I'm just below Kirk. Yeah, they had Tannehill at one point three Kirks. They had David Carr or Derek. David Carr. They had Derek Carr at one point one Kirks. Then you come to the lower side of that. You've got. I think Teddy Bridgewater was zero point eight Kirks. Yeah, exactly. Right in that Bridgewater ballpark. Yeah, and I think we got to put Sam Darnold at like a tenth of a Kirk at this point. Yeah, he is. <laughs> don't mention him in the same conversation here. Guys. Yeah, not, but, no Kirks allowed. But you've really got like you've got legitimate weapons on this team. You got Dalvin Cook. You got Justin Jefferson. You got you know Adam Thielen making plays. KJ Osborne, you know, trying to get out there. CJ Ham, Tyler Conklin. You know, the Vikings are making do, and at the same time. They're not having things get held up on the back end. It's decision making. It's defensive play. It's they're finding ways to lose games. Yeah, they're they're a top three to five team right now. Where if the game is hanging in the balance, I I'm the most terrified that my coach or my kicker or somebody is going to screw something up completely and, and leave me in the lurch. So, uh, and with that said, they're playing the Chargers next week, which is such an exciting game. Purely, if not for the reason that it's got to come down to a last-minute field goal somehow on either side. I, I can't wait for that game. It's going to be incredible. But let's move on to our last agenda item of the top of the show here. With uh, It's it's midseason. We want to talk a little MVP. Uh, this week couldn't have set up any better for one Thomas Edward Patrick Brady Jr. to walk away with this season's MVP. Uh, care to elaborate? Like we said at the top of the show, some of the top teams in the NFL just completely dropped the ball this week. Uh, you know, Matt Stafford had one of his more lifeless performances as a member of the LA Rams. I'd, I'd probably, I wouldn't think it's too far a stretch to call that his worst game with the LA Rams Yeah, this no, season. Just uh, bad, not yeah. good. Dak Prescott kind of laid an egg against the... Uh, Denver Broncos, he clearly wasn't his full self. Dak was uh, just at one missing. Point, at one point, Dak was like 8 of 21 for 65 yards or something absurd just, like that. Just could not make any sort of connection. Josh Allen, if if there was any hope left for him to sort of string together an MVP campaign, has completely thrown that to the wind. That, that was a miserable performance by Josh Allen. Uh, I think, honestly, one of the more damning performances uh, came in a win. Uh, Kyler Murray uh, not able to play this week, and Colt McCoy is able to lead Arizona to a 31-17 victory over the San Francisco 49ers. And if that's not an indictment of it's a you know a more team holistic thing than just a single player performance, I don't know what is. And then at that point you've got you know those are probably th- you know four or five of the top guys up there. Aaron Rodgers is still in the conversation, but I don't know how much longer he's going to be in that conversation because he's going to miss. Handful of games here and there that are going to hurt his team. Well, just keep taking ivermectin. He'll be fine. He'll be just fine. And we're now a Lamar Jackson bad performance, sort of just basically handing the MVP race to a 44-year-old at this point. It is. <laughs> Father Time is about to catch his first ever L. It's, it's very impressive. Yeah. Well, that's, I mean, that's a good way to say it. I mean, Brady, uh, I think we were all coming off the Saints loss talking about, oh, he's... He kind of took a big hit to his MVP odds there. But when we look back at that game at the end of the season, all we're going to see is the 375 yards and four touchdowns. That's all that goes in the box score. So we get past that narrative a couple weeks from now, and Brady's going to be pretty much leading in all the major passing categories. So 
I'm locking that in right now. If I'm a betting man as my MVP pick, I'm sure you can still get pretty fair plus odds on that somewhere. And, yeah, we're halfway through the season, and I think that's what we've settled upon. Yeah, and that'll take us right into game balls for the week. Uh, you know, off the heels of my quick uh, my quick mention of the Arizona Cardinals, my offensive game ball of the week was going to one James Conner. With Kyler, with Kyler Murray out of the picture, DeAndre Hopkins not playing in the game. James Conner really managed to step up in this one. 21 carries for 96 yards, two touchdowns on the ground. Also supplemented that going 5-for-5 five five in the passing game. Uh, for 77 yards and, a net, and another touchdown, longest of 45. Uh, it's really, really impressive turnaround by this Cardinals running back. Uh, you know, Chase Edmonds really did not play a lot in this He got one. hurt. He got hurt immediately. Yeah. And when that happens, you just need the next man up thing. It really shows just how deep the skill positions on this Cardinals offense are. You know, Max Crosby goes down. Zach Ertz is able to step up. DeAndre Hopkins goes down. Christian Kirk is back in the mix. Chase Edmonds goes down. James Conner steps up. It's, you know, you're just able to, and, and even like we said, Kyler goes down. Colt McCoy throws for 249 yards and a touchdown. Just a really, really impressive level of depth in this Arizona offense. And it's, you know, it's a testament to why they're 8 and 1 right now. And, currently rocking the best record in the NFL. Yeah, if you had Eno Benjamin in your touchdown pool yesterday, the third string running back for the Cardinals, go pass go and collect your $200 because there it was. And I think the the James Conner thing, while it is uh, great to get James in the conversation here, it's also kind of a, another RBSDM situation where James Conner in 2020 could not have had a performance like this on that Steelers team with Big Ben as his quarterback playing behind a subpar offensive line. Like This is a much better, much more agreeable situation. And James Conner, to his credit, very much taken advantage of it and had a very explosive game yesterday. But I think we all would have said that James Conner was not an impact running back coming into the season. And I'm not sure we can still say that now. However, we hadn't given a running back a game ball so far this year. I'm very glad we got a chance to do that. And we're going to do it for two running backs this week. Let's keep the good mojo rolling. Who said they don't matter? They matter because Jonathan Taylor on Thursday night, we haven't really even talked about any Thursday night games much this year, but Jonathan Taylor came out the gates hot on Thursday night, ends up with 200 total yards exactly, runs in two touchdowns. Honestly, they gave Naheem Himes a ton of carries in this game or else I think Jonathan Taylor probably could have run for 250 on that porous Jets D, but I mean... You want to talk about guys who are explosive. I think Taylor's near the top of that list. He's a threat to break one really at any time. He basically ran right out of his jersey. They had to tie it back together with a shoelace, Kale. The guy's guy's incredible. A phenom at the running back position. And with Henry out, I think he's pretty much got a lock on the rushing title if he keeps anything like this pace up for the rest of the year. So got to give Taylor his props this week. Yeah, and the Colts' offensive line is only going to get better, too. This is a line that's been really, you know, it's been dealt a handful of injuries at this point. And as Quentin Nelson starts to get back up to 100%, as Eric Fisher starts to recover from his, you know, season-ending injury in the AFC Championship last year with the Chiefs, uh, this is a this is a running back room that's only going to get better. And they are the, uh, the Indianapolis Colts right now are kind of the one 
below 500 team in the AFC that still has an outside shot at making a difference. Because, you know, they're not the Jets, Texans, or Jaguars at this point. They're, That's a good start if yeah, you want to make a or difference. Or the Dolphins. <laughs> yeah, they're the one team right now without a uh, with a losing record that's kind of, you know, still keeping themselves afloat above uh, their heads above water. And I think it's a lot of it's coming on the backs of these Colts running backs. Just Taylor and Hines just are decimating defenses at this point. No, it's a it's a quality group. Like the uh, the offensive pieces they've assembled. While you know you'd love to have a quarterback who doesn't terrify you like Wentz does me. Uh, Michael Pittman's a stud. They've got a great line. It's gonna get better, like you said. And like you said, the running back room is phenomenal. So the Colts are still in it. I agree with you. Be nice to get rid of Wentz, but it's not something we can do at this point. Uh, Let's move on to defense, and we've already said it was a bad week for Josh Allen, so I think it's going to sound a little bit hypocritical here. But, Kale, I believe you're going to give Josh Allen a defensive game ball this week. Is that right? (laughs) Yes, I am. Josh Allen of the Jacksonville Jaguars. Uh, There's a – it's – listen, last week week we had Cooper Rush to Amari Cooper as touchdowns in the Dallas game. We're getting a lot of same-name type of – type of punny play this week and Josh Allen to Josh Allen really no difference here god what a what a very fun you know tongue twisting performance for this uh for this broadcast crew in a in a game that I've now watched multiple times and I will say it is unwatchable <laughs> Lucky it is you <laughs> it is it's not a fun one to watch but Josh Allen was just Jacksonville Josh was just everywhere he is the first person in three years to record a sack, fumble recovery, and interception in a single game. He was just everywhere. I'm still really impressed by Jacksonville's ability to drop back in coverage and generate the pressure that they did with just four players. It was truly, truly anomalous. But Josh Allen ends up with eight solo tackles, two tackles for loss, a sack, a pass deflection, a QB hit, an interception, a forced fumble, just, I mean, run the run the gamut of defensive stats. And Allen's got one stat notched somewhere on this in this game. It was mm-hmm. a, a complete holistic effort. I likened it to, uh, for any Smash Bros. Melee heads out there, there's a, uh, there's a match at Apex 2015 between uh, Leffen and Chillin, where basically two Fox players uh, played the same character, and they wanted to see who... Uh, in a quest to see who had the right to wear the default skin, be the true representative of this one character. They had a best of nine. And Leffen just wiped the floor with Chillin. A 5-0 sweep. Uh, the only response that Chillin had at the end of the game was, my bad. Uh, just basically apologized for wasting his time. And Chillin was no longer ever allowed to wear the default Fox skin. Just a, a fraudulent secondary Fox at that point. Uh Buffalo Josh might have to change his name after that one. I think I think Josh Allen of the Jacksonville Jaguars now has the right to the name Josh Allen, and if we can come up with some other nickname for Josh, uh, might have to wear the old uh, you know like glasses and mustache combo, just kind of like change your identity, witness protection program type of stuff. I don't think you're allowed to call yourself Josh Allen anymore after just completely being owned by a superior Josh Allen. 
Oh. So you're done talking about video games, big guy? We could we could go back to football now. Listen, let me make one analogy <laughs> here, guy. Come on. <laughs> oh, boy. Uh, my defensive game ball this week is going to, well, we talked about fun with names. Uh, I'm going to give it to somebody who shares my name in J.C. Jackson of the New England Patriots because J.C. Jackson had not one but two interceptions of poor Sam Darnold yesterday. And... I know I talked about uh, my miserable Chicago Bears fan roommate Connor on the podcast the other week, but my best friend is a diehard Carolina Panthers fan, also named Connor, and he's listening right now, and he is going to have nightmares about some of those Sam Darnold throws to J.C. Jackson for weeks to come because he was blanketing fools out there. For, I mean, the pick six uh, was a horrible throw from Darnold, he was rolling left, he completely misfired, he threw it right into the waiting arms of J.C., and there was nobody in front of him for 80 yards. Uh, J.C. had himself some sicknesses this week and barely was able to play in the game, and I think uh, I think Kale has, has a little bit of a Tuesday morning reading for us about <laughs> what was going on with J.C. at the time when he was running back down the field. Yeah, if we think we're a little banged up in the health department... <laughs> J.C. Jackson thought he was going to die from strep throat this week. He declared himself, quote, sick as shit. Thought he was about to die. Like he couldn't taste. I had strep throat and it was over. I thought it was over. Uh, (laughs) Belichick then followed that up with, I hope that's not a sign of things to come. Think we don't have to practice and then go out there and be the star of the game. Darnold targeted J.C. Jackson four times in this game. He completed one two-yard pass. And outside of that, had a pass deflected and two red zone interceptions, one of which was taken back 88 yards to the house. So just a real real great rapport established between Darnold and Jackson at this point. Just a lethal connection. <laughs> and I did want to talk, I mean, the coverage on the last interception, which ultimately led to Robbie Anderson screaming at Sam Darnold, that it couldn't have been better coverage. I mean, he undercut the route perfectly. He pushed DJ Moore to the boundary line in the back of the end zone. Sam Darnold had nowhere else to throw that ball. The fact that he did throw that ball shows very poor judgment on his part, but not JC's fault. JC played it absolutely perfectly. So thank you to my namesake for playing a phenomenal game this week. Happy to reward you with a game ball. And let's talk about special teams. They matter. And there was a special teamer yesterday who I think we kind of looked at the box score and we were like, wait, this guy won his team the game. Who would that be, Kale? Yeah, and maybe, you know, honestly, probably one of the more uh, difficult to watch games in the Sunday slate considering the two teams involved. Kansas City punter Tommy Townsend. Really, it's it's very rare for anyone to say that the Chiefs punter won them the game, but it's tough to deny at this point. In a game that ended 13-7, to Townsend ended up six punts for a total of 341 yards. That's a 56.8 average net punt. Five of those punts downed inside the 20 and the longest punt of 64. I don't know if it's a matter of Jordan Love not being ready to play uh, just yet, so the Packers decided to protect him with a bit of a vanilla offense, or if Matt LaFleur just didn't really have a game plan for Jordan Love, so he kind of ran him ran him out there with, you know, nothing really Love-specific there, but this Packers offense really couldn't get anything going uh, against a pretty porous Kansas City defense. So the fact that Townsend was able to set 
you know, Green Bay up, but such poor field position really require them to march down. It's no wonder that Kansas City had their best uh, defensive effort of the season, only holding Green Bay to seven points. Yeah, I've frankly never seen a punter stat line like that where you have six punts with an average of over 55 yards, and yet you still downed five of them inside the 20. Like Usually long punts equate to either touchbacks or long returns. Like Not a touchback on the day either. Crazy. However, I think you make a good point. Nobody seemed to be prepared for Jordan Love, especially the Kansas City Chiefs, who put Jordan Love's family in the very top row of the stadium, up there with the dang Goodyear blimp. I mean, that was insulting to watch just on a, TV. Also, really em- emphasized by that cameraman's cinephotography, like just the <laughs> slow zoom that lasts about 15 seconds. I mean, talk about a fact. Like, that was... It made you feel like the loves were sitting miles and miles above the stadium. <laughs> yeah, no, that that can't have been comfortable. I mean, I don't imagine it was very warm in Kansas City yesterday either. Poor, poor family. Just not a fun, not a fun experience for their their kids' first game in the NFL. But who knows? I'm not giving up on Jordan Love completely yet. He look he looked like he started his first game in the NFL. I wouldn't put too much past him yet, but man, it wasn't great. No, not good at all. Uh, my special teams game ball. I'll fly through this one here. We've pretty much established that if you return a kickoff for a touchdown, you're getting a game ball. So even though we have already spent time just punching the Minnesota Vikings into the ground over and over again, Kane Wongwu yesterday returns the second half opening kick for a touchdown. It was a 98-yarder, and he didn't really have to do all that much. Uh, You know, a couple holes opened up in front of him, but he's got speed. I mean, this is a legit, like, 4-3 dude had absolute, like, he, he looked like he had the Energizer bunny banging the drum behind him on the way down the field. That dude just opened up and went. So, despite the fact that we have very few positive things to say about the Minnesota Vikings, Kane Wongwu had a very nice return yesterday. Also a great name, and that's enough for me to give you a game ball, frankly. Yeah, man, it, it just shows you just how badly... Minnesota lost this game. Like, this, they had so many things break the Vikings' way, and they couldn't find a way to get a win on the, you know, in the W column. Well, we did tease this already, so why don't you just keep beating the Vikings down even further in the head scratchers? Here we go. Let's let's lay it on them. Yeah, this this is the antithesis of I swear I watch more than one game. It's I swear that I, I, can focus on more than one bad team. I swear that this team just isn't rotting a hole in my brain. But, I mean, damn, this was... Baltimore gets the ball to start overtime. Uh, And this is also after, uh, you know, Minnesota marches down a 10-play drive in two and a half minutes to tie this game up at 31 uh, after also blowing a 24-10 to lead. Uh, in the fourth quarter, that's a, or sorry, in the second half. But Baltimore opens this one up on second in the overtime slate and ends up getting intercepted on a pass to Patrick Ricard by Anthony Barr. Uh, Barr recovers it basically near midfield, setting you up for 62 yards. Now, at this point, all you need is a field goal. You end up throwing a screen pass to Dalvin Cook for two yards. Uh, you then run Dalvin on second and eight for a one-yard loss. And then Kirk Cousins is forced to throw a deep incompletion to Adam Thielen on third and nine. And then fourth and nine, you just punt. 
And, you know, on top of it, Marvin, Marlon Humphrey gets offensive holding. That pushes Baltimore back down, and they get possession at their own 10-yard line. And you just – you can't hold this team down. Like, it, you – the Minnesota Vikings defense then allowed Baltimore to march down the field 72 yards in 10 plays to get the game-winning field goal. And it's – I don't know. You you can't make this stuff up. You, you really can't. This is – Minnesota had every chance that they – needed to win this game and at every turn whether it was a decision-making thing whether it was poor offensive play calling poor mismatches on defense there was just no way to contain this baltimore team and put points on the board when it mattered that second and eight just generic run call that should be a prison worthy offense because you have justin jefferson you can run cook out of the backfield again although i wouldn't recommend it you have Thielen, you have tyler conklin you have kj osborne like all these guys are available to you you know that if if baltimore gets the ball back justin tucker's probably going to make like at least a 55 yard field goal coming back the other way so i mean what do you have to lose in that case like why are we playing conservative it's almost like zimmer wanted the tie or something it was really uh, it's it's a coaching decision head scratcher, which is one of my favorite kinds, and I'm glad that you highlighted it for us today. I would like to highlight another one because Kyle Shanahan, who is now 32 and 41 as the head coach of the San Francisco 49ers, so just let that sink in for a while. Kyle Shanahan, nine games under 500 as a head coach, boy boy genius, uh, the the most creative run schemer on the planet, whatever. And I don't think that, you know, that's not totally indicative of everything that's happened, but, I mean, you would expect a football mind like Kyle Shane. I understand, you know, last season was all but a wash with the amount of injuries that they dealt with, and they've had, you know, a couple underperforming years. But this is a team that, you know, made a Super Bowl, what, two years ago at this point? Like, this is a team that should be absolutely performing better, and they just can't find a way to string together wins. Yeah, and, look, there weren't any – there were – on the surface of it, there might not be any plays from this game that looked like they were that. Like, there wasn't, like, a big blunder or anything. There wasn't a play where the Niners just, like, threw up all over themselves and we were all just completely stunned at the result. But if you went on Twitter yesterday and you looked in various teams' mentions, the Niners' Twitter was on fire bashing Shanahan. So I went, I did my due diligence, and I looked into this. Just as kind of a, a warm-up here for the head-scratcher, the first play from scrimmage, Debo Samuel wide open on a dig route. Instead, Jimmy G checks it down to the back. So, I mean, you could blame that on Jimmy G, but it's also it seems like he may not even have the confidence to make that throw on the dig route. And, you know, we talked about Ayuk and the sweeps. Like, there's just – it seems like their offense has training wheels on it at all times. So, as a result, they get down big in this game. We go to the third quarter. The Niners are down 31-7. to like, this is a ass-kicking at that point. But, to their credit, they go down pretty quickly. Six-play, 75-yard drive to score a touchdown. So let's do a little bit of math here. It's now 31-13. to 13. Uh, Third quarter, 20 minutes left in the game. Shouldn't you go for two? Let's make it a 16-point game. It's a two-touchdown game. Nope. Kyle Shanahan just trots the kicker right out there. Makes an extra point that means absolutely nothing. Makes it 31-14. That sucks. Then, they get a stop. Look at that. The Niners get the ball back. I mean, it should be a two-possession game, but hey, it's about to be early fourth quarter. Maybe they've still got a comeback attempt left in them. 
And the drive starts pretty good. They get the ball at their own 15. They work it all the way down to the Arizona 34 at one point. Then sack. Jimmy G takes plenty of them. Makes it third and long. Third and long, you throw a short pass to George Kittle. Incomplete. So fourth and 13. 13 minutes left in the game on the Arizona 39. They punt. They just say, ah, screw it. We're punting. We have no chance left in this game. Like, there, nobody nobody could have seen us getting this far, guys. I guess it's just time to pack it in. Fourth and 13. It's the 39. You're not trying to field goal. Do something. You don't ever punt from inside the other team's Oh, it was 40. Arizona's 39. Yeah. I was reading yeah. that wrong. Okay, okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I was reading that wrong. Yeah, <laughs> that's, that's right, tough. <laughs> that's tough. Yeah, you don't punt from inside the other team's 40 in any circumstance. It's just not okay. Yeah, that is uh that's pretty inexcusable. <laughs> so I'm sorry, Kyle Shanahan, we've been we've been dragging you for a while here, but that was really upsetting. I don't like watching the Niners be incompetent as a football team. You know, it's it's a pride thing being from that part of the country. It's there's there's history there and that that is just not a, a competent football team right now. It's tough to watch. And in my in my anger about the 49ers, it appears that I just skipped right over our uniform games of the week. So we're going to go ahead and back and hit those now. We're all disjointed this week, guys. Don't blame us. It, it happens sometimes. Um, why don't you lead us off, Kale? You had, a, you had a uniform game you really enjoyed yesterday. Yeah, it wasn't even a game I uh, even consumed too much of. It was a game that I sort of caught on Red Zone, which, by the way, I only just discovered I pay for I uh, didn't know why my cable package was so high. I checked it out on a whim when we were missing some game broadcasts, and it turns out I pay for Red Zone. Uh, news to me. <laughs> uh, so my my jersey game of the week, uh, Raiders-Giants. Uh, the MetLife uh, sage cleansing of 2021 oh. is continued to pay off as... Uh, the Giants end up getting a massive win over the five and three Raiders. Now we need we need our own version of the George Bush picture with the mission accomplished in the background. <laughs> That's what we need because we we took the hex off MetLife Stadium. It's officially official. Oh, we did it. Beautiful, beautiful prediction by us. Uh, and yeah, this was speaking of beautiful. Just listen. You know why? You know I like to go for the creative uniforms. You know I like to go for. A bit more flashy out there uniforms. This is just tried and true. Raiders whites, beautiful. Love the silver pants. Love the silver helmets. I think it all really goes well together. It's just nothing. Just a just a classic, classic, really good looking football uniform. And I've mentioned it before. I love the Giants blues. They're one of the few teams that really makes red, white, and blue a pretty standard NFL color way it makes it truly iconic and i think they do a really good job i think their giants blues are the best even though thinking about it makes me think about uh all those super bowls that the pats lost the New York <laughs> giants and i just disassociate and stare out the window a little bit as we record this and i think about how close that asante samuel catch gets and the fox alberis catch and the th- i'm not sorry <laughs> i it's every time we talk about the giants i just go into a fugue state and just start thinking about me as a child <laughs> Growing up on Long Island watching the Giants lose. Things just seemed really bleak in this broadcast. (laughs) (laughs) We're watching the sun start to creep downward, and it's only 3 o'clock in the afternoon after daylight savings time. That was... (sighs) That was tough. Um, I'm sorry. I apologize to all our listeners that got me, that listened to me get really sad there. <laughs> but yeah, no, just a great boilerplate sort of uniform game. Tried yeah. and true. 
Now that game would have looked so good in the snow too. It's a bummer. It's almost a bummer that it's only the, the that it's only the first weekend in November because that would have been such a good snow game. My game was another. You know, I, you know, I love the classics. I come correct with the classics every week. So how about a matchup that harkens back to the very first Super Bowl, and they basically haven't either team changed their uniform since Packers Chiefs. I mean, that was Chiefs in the home reds. Uh, much I, I don't hate their road uniforms, but I think their home uniforms are pretty superior. And Packers in their lovely yellow pants, one of the one of the few teams in football that that rocks the yellow pants, makes them look really good. It's basically them and the Steelers. Um, so I, I just thought that was a, a classic, a, a game that I would go back and watch many times all the way over again. And I think. Did these teams? I think they wore the opposite in Super Bowl One, if I'm not mistaken. They did when the they did wear the opposite jerseys, but anything that reminds me of the iconic photograph of Chiefs quarterback Len Dawson just ripping darts on the sidelines in that Super Bowl, <laughs> just a re, a real product of its era. A beautiful, a beautiful, a beautifully weird image in NFL history. Just the Super Bowl winning quarterback just smoking cigs. Just Chief and Sigs on the sidelines of well, the, the Chiefs, biggest game in NFL history. The Chiefs fully lost that game. Don't. So. <laughs> <laughs> He's a winner in my eyes, Jackson. <laughs> oh, brother. We, we got our history all messed up upside down. But with that said, that that is a, a perfect and fitting conclusion to this delirious episode that we've we've brought to you so far. The only thing that's left for us to do is talk about the slaughter of the Chicago Bears that you probably all witnessed last night on Monday Night Football with no Manning cast. Sad, but let's let's wrap let's wrap with the Manning cast curse real quick cuz it took another <laughs> we we joked about it last week and it happened. No, a new it was, chapter has I been I want to say that was that was fully joking. We we said in jest like, "Oh yeah, like Expect the uh, expect the Jaguars to take down the Buffalo Bills, and who would have thought the fourteen and a half point underdogs went in and won a nine to six football game? This cat, I think ESPN is thankful that this cast is not on this week. Also, by the way, I have nothing to say about this game. I really, it's you get to the point in the football season about midway through, and you realize like, oh, I haven't, uh, I haven't kept tabs on every team as much as I'd like to, and. The Pittsburgh Steelers are absolutely a team that I can I can say with full honesty that I've I've watched once, and it's the Week One Buffalo game. I really have not watched this Pittsburgh team much at all or paid much attention to them. This Bears team as well. I've been able to follow the Matt Nagy storylines here and there. I've been able to follow Justin Fields' progression. I've done, you know, I've I've watched like a, a handful of Bears games, but I really have. No, no, gen, like real, like intelligent musings on this game. I have no statistical insights. This is this is a game to me. Yeah, I mean, I think the, I think the real tragedy of this game is that not only are the Steelers going to be five and three after they probably beat the atrocious offense-free Chicago Bears, but then they play the Lions next week. So, as as much as we have given the Steelers crap for having a, a zombie play the quarterback position for them, they're probably going to be 6-3, and three, which is really a, a sombering statement, not only to think about them, but their fans as well, who are insufferable 
during any given month of the year, but we get we get more than halfway through November, and this team's six and three after all the crap they took in the off season. That's going to be truly insufferable. So, not looking forward to that one bit. Yeah, not looking forward to that. We're going to have another five win team to worry about in the AFC potentially, and it's it's only going to make this AFC playoff picture murkier than it's already been, and it's already pretty darn murky. Well, as a as a concluding thought to this week, I just hope that week 10 can give us any sort of clarity one direction or the other you know if you if if we're confused about you right now just give us a definitive answer next week either come out guns blazing and put up your best performance of the season or you can just slink back into the shadows but just don't don't keep stringing us along all these all these all these mid-tier teams just just stop playing with our emotions we want we, we our job is to make sense of these things let us do our job help me help you guys like Give me something to work with here. <laughs> well, regardless, officially halfway home in our first season as a fully-fledged podcast, it is a nice feeling to be, you know, standing right on second base, essentially, at this point. And we've got so much football left. We're, we're heading in closer to the holiday season. We're going to have a Thanksgiving special after those three Thanksgiving games that I couldn't be more excited about over Zoom, our first Zoom podcast, and, and lots more content coming from the regular season and playoffs. So get excited. Kale, tell them how excited they should be. I'm, I'm excited for Thanksgiving. I'm excited for the hol- holidays. Uh, it'll be a nice, it'll be a much-needed break from the, uh, from the new house grind. And, uh, yeah. We'll we'll head uh we'll be delivering content to you uh, on a timely basis over Zoom and we'll be putting in the extra effort just like we hope any teams in the league we're just hoping for any team to give us a bit of extra effort to give us some bit of clarity on who's going to be taking away the Super Bowl come February because right now it could be about fifteen different teams and I wouldn't put it past you if you hear those faint thumps in the background that's Kale pounding on this desk with excitement. This is a big audio podcast. I talk a lot with my hands. I'm a visual speaker and it doesn't work well when we got a little pitter-patter for me tapping the table with my hands or scratching my laptop. It's a, I'm a Ricky Bobby. I don't know what to do with my hands. <laughs> I'm happy to end on that. It's It's been a blast. We look forward to seeing you all next week. For Kale, I'm Jackson. Have a great rest of your Tuesday. Let's <laughs> go.